1: I'm Kirk Megu, host of Politics and Polemics on the New Books Network. I also host my own podcast called Independent Thought and Freedom, where I interview some of the most interesting people from around the world who are shaking up politics, economics, society, and ideas. You can find it in the iTunes Store or on any one of your favorite podcast providers. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel. Also, are you an academic that wants to get heard nationally? Check out my free training on three steps how to use your intellectual authority to become a media personality at becomeapublicintellectual.com That's becomeapublicintellectual.com You can find the links below. And now, on to this week's episode. Hello! Today, my guest is Phil Harvey, co author with Lisa Conyers of Welfare for the Rich How Your Tax Dollars End Up in Millionaires' Pockets and What You Can Do About It, published in 2020. Welcome, Phil. My pleasure to be here. Thanks. Yeah, well, congratulations on the book. It's got a lot of uh, advanced praise, and it's, it's very interesting. The uh, all the sort of examples and research uh, that you've put together here. I, I saw you had a, uh, a well, it's a blog post I saw it online, but it may have been in print since 2000, uh, 2017 where you were talking about researching this book. Did it actually take that long to, to do the research? Well, I have found uh, that writing
0: a book, uh, even with a co author who's done a great deal of the work on it, um, takes a long time. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm not very good at deadlines and doing things quickly, as it turns out. Uh, So I would say, yes, it's been three years in the making. The book is actually not due out until August 5, but it's a pleasure to be discussing it now uh, since uh, the book is finished. And uh, uh, we're just putting the, the finishing touches on the cover and a few things like that. But uh, it, it will be available very soon.
1: Okay, great, great. Well, k- why don't we start off with the concept of welfare for the rich. Uh, so what you mean by it and why it's important. Well, the idea that the government at federal, state,
0: and even local level uh, should take taxpayer money from ordinary workers and middle-class taxpayers Uh, and turn it over uh, in the form of subsidies, cash, payments, uh, various breaks, uh, monetary breaks of various kinds, to wealthy corporations and individuals is an idea that I don't think anybody really supports. The idea that you take from those who have less and give to those who have more is, is simply nonsensical. Uh, But that is going on, in fact, all of the time now, Uh, a result of very effective lobbying in many cases uh, by uh, large corporations and by uh, uh, individual interests. Um, Just, uh, I mean, our our feeling is that people on both sides of the aisle, and this is pretty much a bipartisan uh, issue, it seems to me. Uh, Robin Hood in reverse, if you will, Uh, uh, taking taxpayer money and turning it over to millionaires and billionaires. Uh, Indeed, uh, in the case of agricultural payments, uh, there are many, many examples of uh, taxpayer payments under the Farm Bill uh, being made to billionaires, Um, really rich people. who happen to own a few acres of farmland. Uh, many of them don't farm. They don't live on their farms. Um, my my favorite story in the uh, uh, farming uh, payments ripoff is the Disney ploy. Uh, the Disney Corporation gets enormous subsidies in both Florida and Southern California, as you might expect, but mm-hmm. uh, they're also getting some agricultural money because they put a few cows out... Pasture on a piece of their property in Florida, so they're in. If uh, as far as the government subsidy machine is concerned, uh, they're in the farming business, so they soak up some of that money as well. And of course, Disney is, as you
1: know, uh, is yeah. a very, very wealthy corporation. Yeah, and um, I know uh, music stars like Bruce, I think, uh, Bruce Springsteen and Bon Jovi and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, very wealthy individuals do stuff like that all the time as well, don't they?
0: Sure. And there, of course, are people in the business of helping other people do that. I mean, there's, there are several lawyers, one who's, who's gotten quite wealthy in the process who form uh, agricultural partnerships of various kinds. Uh, Agricultural payments uh, are normally limited uh, to people whose income is $900,000 a year or less, Uh, not exactly penury. Um, uh, But uh, uh, if family members, uh, one's spouse, one's brother-in-law, one's cousin and a few others, uh, can get together in a partnership uh their their uh, income limitations don't stop uh, payments of many 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 millions of dollars um um going to the partnership uh, which of course gives all of those people opportunity to, to participate in the large
1: it's it's simply
0: unexcusable
1: uh Was there anything that sort of drove you uh, to write the book? Is is there a story behind, you know, something that made you say, listen, I've just got to document this, uh, you know?
0: Well, there were several things. One is um, in 2016, uh, Lisa and I wrote a book uh, uh, called uh, The Human Cost of Welfare. We examined the entire welfare program That is the program that that really is designed for low-income people, a means-tested program that includes things like food stamps uh, and uh, the earned income tax credit and a number of others. Um, And in the process of researching and writing that book, uh, we were very distressed to learn that uh, in combination, our welfare programs are really failing the people they need to help. Uh, in the sense that they are not doing anything to get uh, people on uh, welfare into work. Uh, we talked to one fellow uh, who was very eloquent on the subject. He said, I go to the welfare office to get my uh, food stamp cards updated, and all the posters on the wall are about other welfare programs. He said they should post jobs. Well, we want is <laughs> jobs. We want to work. And and get off of welfare, but the welfare system is designed uh, to perpetuate itself and to expand, and it is very, very poor at um, uh, getting people back to work uh, so that they won't uh, need the welfare any longer and so that they can hold their heads up and and work and live with some dignity and self-respect uh it's just very very bad at that and uh the rules tend to make it uh awkward and difficult uh, to get off uh the welfare programs and into work because uh the the way the numbers fall out that sometimes means in fact it often means taking a cut in income uh so we were very uh uh distressed to uh, uh learn the details Uh, of the existing welfare program and in the process said, well, why uh, in the face of this is so much, not? it's not called welfare, of course, uh, but uh, subsidies and payments being made to wealthy people and wealthy corporations uh, uh, that could be used to provide jobs. The the one um, welfare-oriented program uh, that, uh, does work reasonably well as the earned income tax credit, which rewards people for work, uh, makes uh, working uh, at a at a somewhat it tops up basically tops up people's earned income, um, and uh, that could be greatly expanded in our view, uh, especially if we stopped hundreds, literally hundreds of billions of dollars being. Paid every year to uh, parties that do not need and do not deserve uh, to to get those payments.
1: Yeah, this is a uh, an interesting thing I want to explore with you, which is basically um, your your background uh, because. A lot of people writing on this, especially from an academic perspective, and a lot of our audiences, you know, um, grad students and uh, professors, and so, they usually come at it from a left-wing perspective. And, and you know, in the media, um, you know, you have people like Robert Reich, you have uh, Anand Giridharadas, who's been talking about the billionaire class. And and you, you have that um, side, which I think people are pretty well familiar with that's the kind of dominant discourse and then you have the kind of uh i suppose the the libertarian the fox news the the right wing side with uh you know like steve bannon and sarah palin before talking about crony capitalism and you had the tea party and and to a large extent the the trump movement um is uh you know has been tied into that although in practice it's it's been very uh murky uh your ideological uh perspective wh- where is that and and i'd like you to bring in some of your personal history you know your your business your philanthropy because i i find that very interesting because your personal history sort of cuts across ideological lines in a lot of ways i think well i think that i think that is
0: correct um Give you a very quick summary. I, as a young man, I, uh, I did five years with the relief organization CARE in India uh, back in the 60s. From there, uh, and in connection with that job, I got into the family planning business uh, convinced that the most useful thing we could do for people uh, in developing countries uh, was to provide uh, easy and Convenient access to contraceptives and contraceptive services. Uh, so I uh, founded an organization called BKT International, which uh, today uh, uh, is reaching something like 46 million couples in 25 or 30 countries, um, led by a really superb guy named Chris Purdy. Uh, so that uh, that is ongoing. More relevant to the book uh, is the DKT Liberty Project. I've dumped around on some of these things over the years, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that project is focused on the United States and it's focused on civil liberties. Um, We um, have been very active, for example, in the war on drugs because in my opinion, the war on drugs has been the worst thing to happen to civil liberties and civil rights in this country since the days of Ghost McCarthy. Uh, uh, devastating impact, uh, particularly on minorities, um, uh, but also on everyone who gets caught up uh, in the war on drugs. So we've done a good deal of work in that area. Uh, we have worked on the issues of civil asset forfeiture is a very strange and inexcusable arrangement in American law that allows the police to take property uh, from people on the mere suspicion that it may have been involved in something illegal, uh, and they often keep the property uh, even if they never indict or, or even accuse uh, the owning a party of having done anything illegal or even wrong. Uh so we have uh, done some work in that area to help get their property back, when it's been uh, inappropriately seized
1: um so so in a lot of ways i mean you you have this sort of sense of justice and and injustice but but you're not coming from the the sort of normal expected sort of left wing um, uh discourse uh on on that topic. am I right?
0: Yes, I'm a libertarian, uh, and basically I think the libertarian uh, principles have it right. That is to say, government should stay out of our bedrooms, and there we agree with, uh, with uh, the liberals, uh, and the government should also stay out of our boardrooms, and there we tend to agree uh, with the conservatives. That is, uh, the role of the federal government should be defined and limited and transparent, Uh, while uh, recognizing, of course, that governments have certain functions that they must undertake uh, and maintain. Um, But in today's world, loaded with regulations and rules and requirements and paperwork, uh, a great deal of which slows down economic development, uh, and the kinds of policies that go into welfare for the rich uh, subsidizing coal, for example. Now, there's a really smart move. Uh, we're trying to get away from uh, loading up the atmosphere with carbon, and the uh, and federal government, uh, partly at Trump's urging, but it had been going on before Trump, uh, is turning over uh, millions of dollars to try to keep coal plants working uh, when we'd all be better off at least switching to natural gas, which is now cheaper, uh, that process is is ongoing, and that's a good thing. Uh, but the the uh, retrograde uh, tendencies of the federal government, which has a hard time not going on doing things that it's been doing, even if they're very, um, um, uh, tends to. I keep those kinds of things going. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, now, you know, what would be let's say the coal industry for example that that you gave the exam, um, this specific example for. You know, what what are the arguments in favor of welfare for the rich uh, in in that case? Well, in
0: that case, um, the argument particularly as put forward by Trump, uh, are jobs. There are a lot Mm -hmm. of of people, mostly men, uh, who have worked traditionally in coal mines. Uh, It has been uh, generally well-paid work, but it is also uh, very dangerous work, or it can be dangerous anyway. uh, The justification is normally the fact that uh, uh, we need the jobs and we need the energy. but uh, energy sources now are much more diversified, don't really need and are not, in fact, uh using a great deal of energy from coal, although well, it's still significant. Um and it's very significant in China and India uh, and is therefore a um climate change, uh mm-hmm. especially in, in those countries. Um, um but that's that's the basic rationale. Um the jobs uh are yeah, so increasing.
1: so would well, you you'd concede that there are that there is some rationale for it, but uh but what that is sort of gotten out of hand, it's being abused. What what would you um what, what would your counter be then to that argument? Which sounds reasonable. Well my counter to it is is that the government should stop subsidizing
0: all energy there is no i mean the creation of energy is a very profitable business uh, our energy companies our oil firm our oil companies natural gas companies uh and so on uh are among the most profitable uh, companies in the american economy they do not need to be subsidized they should right. not be subsidized uh subsidization uh, distorts the market it it interferes with honest competition. Uh, it does not produce more of anything, generally speaking, except in the very short run. Uh, no more subsidies uh, in the energy business. And I would go further than that and say no more sub- subsidies in agriculture, which tends to be uh, way oversubsidized as well. Um, uh, particularly, uh, as as I mentioned earlier, uh, for parties who are not even in the farming business mm-hmm. uh, so my, my overall and the overall uh, tenor of the book is to kill these bad subsidies uh, quick um, this will not cost anything indeed it will be a net revenue gainer for the government and for the, the taxpayer and it's, it's one of the few things that we can do that doesn't cost anything that's going to make uh, um, inequality, for example, income and wealth inequality, better uh, simply by stopping
1: the subsidization of wealthy parties. Well, you know, let, let's get into, yeah. Let, let's get into some of the the details, which really makes up the the bulk of your book, because I think a, a lot of times when um, you you get into the uh, sort of the abstract arguments on 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 one side or the other. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it seems, you know, uh, reasonable, but when you get to some of the examples that you, that you dig up here, it's, it's quite amazing and absurd when when you see what actually goes on with this stuff. I mean, you, you, you talk about farmers and tariffs and stadiums and movies, entertainment, zoning, regulations, big tech, a, a, a lot of different areas. Now, are there any, you know, instead of, I mean, we obviously want people to to buy a book to to read it, but would you say that there are any examples in the book that you uncovered that even for you was, like, totally surprising and shocking?
0: Well, the the, the one uh, small matter I mentioned, which is Disney putting a few cows on a stretch of their own property in order to collect agricultural systems, <laughs> Uh, subsidies. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I I was both shocked and amused by um, the sugar program is probably one of the most egregious examples because uh, the the sugar program that subsidizes uh, sugar farmers in the United States sugar growers uh, in the United States. It is has been attacked over and over and over again by reporters and book writers and filmmakers, and yet it goes on and on and on. Basically, there's a series of uh, guarantee price guarantees by the government, limits, uh, strict limits on any short sugar that can be imported from another country, uh, and uh, uh, quotas for those few countries that we do allow to send sugar in. And the result is that sugar in the United States costs double uh, what it costs uh, anywhere else in, in an open market in the world. This is inexcusable. Uh, the result is that uh, sugar barons like uh, Pepe Panjoul and and uh, his brother in Florida are raking in hundreds of millions of dollars every year they are sugar cane sugar growers in Florida. Uh, and, and without any justification, the thing that makes the sugar program even worse uh, is that you don't have to have enough of an income even to pay income taxes uh, to be uh, paying for it. Everybody who buys commercial food uh, whether it's pies or uh, or bread or ketchup, anything that contains sugar, is paying more for it than they should be, uh, and in effect is putting their their extra pennies uh, on those food products into the Bonhuls' pockets every year. It's it's utterly unjustifiable on legal, moral, ethical grounds, uh, and yet it goes on. And uh, the, the num- number of attempts that have been made in Congress uh, to correct this have all failed as the sugar lobbies are very, very good at
1: lobbying. Yeah, yeah. And uh, ab- about how much, um, do, you, do you have an idea about how much actually goes um, uh, to the sugar um, industry as a, res- a result of the lobbying?
0: Uh, I I don't have a figure off the top of my head, but it's in the yeah. tens or hundreds of billions of dollars. I mean, it, it's it's big business,
1: really. Uh, so that big, yeah, <laughs> wow. And I, I, I mean, you, there are some um, you know individuals you you have mentioned uh, too, like uh, Elon Musk, for example, who's you know um, who's you know considered you know this um, sort of amazing visionary. Uh, entrepreneur but uh but you know you've you've called them out for you know a long time uh you know with tesla and solar city and and spacex you know receiving um you know billions of dollars in in public support and and a lot of these you know big tech people that that um you know project themselves as as these models of entrepreneurship uh you know when you look behind it there's um You know, there's uh, something else. Do you want to elaborate on some of that for us?
0: Well, Musk is an interesting case. Uh, He's so effective at getting state governments in particular to compete for his business uh, that uh, states are kind of coming coming to him uh, uh, and offering him tax breaks if he'll locate in their neighborhoods uh, and... um, As a result, he has been able to raise hundreds of millions, probably billions of dollars in subsidies for his various enterprises. Um, I don't question the fact that he's an enormously imaginative and successful entrepreneur, uh, but he should stop asking uh, uh, taxpayers around the country to subsidize his efforts. Uh, He's a multi-billionaire himself. He doesn't need uh, uh, support and payments from ordinary tax-paying citizens, uh, but he keeps getting it uh, over and over and over again. That should simply stop. Uh, The same uh, state governments that uh, subsidize his enterprises, uh, you mentioned films, uh, another interesting example, Uh, a lot of uh, state governments uh, offer major tax breaks and other forms of incentives to film companies if they'll come make their films uh, in the state uh, at issue. Uh, that has gotten to be very expensive in terms of lost revenue to the states, and some of them are backing away from it. But uh, the idea that uh, uh, Montana's taxpayers should be paying uh, to film companies uh that they know nothing about and that don't really need their support uh, is just another example of a rather weird uh, way that money moves from taxpayers to wealthy parties.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's, one thing I find interesting about this is that uh, I I suppose on both sides, I mean, we talked a little bit about, you know, the opposition to it comes from both uh, the right, and the left, but, um, but I think, you know, if you step back, it's um, the whole genesis of it, uh, of this redistribution from the poor to the rich um, also is bipartisan um, from the right to the left. What, what do you think um, you do? Do you think, uh, yeah, what do you think that's a, a a coincidence? Do you think it's a conspiracy? Do you think it's, it's a, it's a kind of, racket inherent in all government or uh um because you know there there are you know people you know who sort of defend the the act of lobbying itself and and um you know as part of the democratic process and i suppose that's kind of a a a liberal uh thing if i want to Pin it ideological somewhere. Then there's a the kind of socialists who say, "Listen, we need economic diversification, we need revitalization, or the market is irrational, so we need to provide incentives here, or or whatever that they have." And then I suppose there's just greedy lobbyists. I, I don't know if I would call that right wing ideology, but certainly it's you know um, you know business people just looking for their own interests and their own pockets in whatever way they can. You have the um, what? Do you, do you see any particular driving force among all these, you know, um, uh, all these actors um, trying to get people's tax dollars and government subsidies? Well, in terms of ideology, uh, the the difference
0: uh, I think lies in in the distinction between the ideology and the actual on the ground. Uh, uh, Um, In other words, I think both liberals and conservatives are opposed to crony capitalism in general. That is, uh, 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 capitalist-oriented corporations who have connections in high places of getting favors from the government. Uh, As a general uh, process, most conservatives will say that's wrong. And virtually all liberals will say that's wrong. But when it comes to individual cases, then it depends on whose ox is gored. And uh, the very conservatives, and in some cases liberals who oppose the idea, will say, well now wait a minute, my Uncle Joe works in that field. Uh, Mm -hmm. And they they need their subsidies because without their subsidies, uh, some of them would go out of business. That's Sometimes true, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, capitalism is a process of creative destruction, as one scholar has uh, cogently remarked. And some businesses do and have to go out of business. Uh, but the thought of losing jobs uh, gets everybody in uh, a, a great deal of heat and distress. So the, the difference it comes down to individual cases, and the farmers will, will tell you, as they told us when we were researching the book, that those agricultural subsidies are absolutely essential, uh, and they'll come up with a few cases where they are essential or, or at least very useful and ignore the 90% of the cases where uh, they're unneeded and unjustified, and um, but it's very, very easy to, to passionately defend a subsidy uh, if you are part of what is getting subsidized. Uh, and that, uh, that is one way that these uh, subsidy programs get perpetuated. That and the fact right. that uh, the agricultural interests,
1: for example, are very, very well connected in Congress. Right, right. So, so in a way, um, they're able to use uh, stories and cases that that perhaps are deserving of. I mean, it's 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 weird to say, but you know, deserving of welfare for the rich, because I suppose ultimately it's supposed to go back to the community or the state or jobs and ordinary people. I, I suppose it's that kind of circuitous route um but so while they make that justification then i guess people slip through um unnoticed and and end up receiving 90 percent of of the the subsidies it's it's that kind of process you see going on
0: yes and and you mentioned uh the job rationale and that one is is very very common particularly uh when a state government agrees um uh, to provide a tax holiday, property tax holiday, typically, may be worth hundreds of millions of dollars to a company for locating there. And the company, in return, um, will normally promise to create 150 or 500 or a couple of thousand jobs. Um, and those jobs frequently simply don't materialize uh yeah. even when they do materialize we find and, and published a number of cases in the book where the the cost per job was something like $600,000 in other words <laughs> in terms of, of of an investment for job creation these are yeah. terrible mm-hmm. uh and uh, and unjustified so that is a very common uh pattern um and, yeah. and it, it generally
1: fails yeah and and because it's quite amazing to think about it that that as you say everybody's against it right i mean theoretically there's no justification for it morally uh, and whether you're on the right whether you're on the left but yet it continues uh, uh you know to grow and and i i suppose it's it's the way that they can sort of use you know, the few deserving cases as justification for, you know, what really turns out to be a kind of huge racket when you sort of, uh, to, to dig beneath the surface. Um, and, and I think, and, um, I mean, you're, I, I don't, your research would have started way before the coronavirus, of course. And, um, But I think the, the coronavirus bill sort of, um, illustrates that because, you know, that, that's been called, you know, the largest upward transfer of wealth, uh, in history. I, I don't know the, the figures exactly, but I've heard critics, um, talk about that, 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 you know, what was supposed to help ordinary people has ended up being these massive transfers, um, to the wealthy. And do you have uh, any comments on that? Well, there, there's a lot of truth in that, and
0: it's uh, it's part of a long-term pattern. The um, Payroll Protection Program, for example, which was originally a three hundred and sixty-some billion dollar, part of the uh, COVID nineteen uh, relief package, uh, was designed specifically to help small businesses. They were defined as businesses with fewer than 500 employees. Uh, and some of that has actually gone to small businesses. I will concede that uh, up, up front, but a great deal of it uh, has gone to chain uh, corporations of restaurants and hotels uh, that have thousands of employees um, because Congress decided that they should be accepted. Uh, There are a large number of such recipients who don't need that money, uh, and indeed a few of them um, uh, have been so embarrassed about accepting uh, government bailout money uh, that they have returned it, uh, which which indicates... um, um, definitely a lack of need and uh, recipients being uh, uh, among the most wealthy I mean this this is not unexpected somehow uh, the people with connections always end up doing better than the ordinary uh, um, hardware store or uh, uh, a local restaurant um, and it's sad it, it it is quite sad, and it, it also will have backlash, I'm afraid, because if the COVID 19 relief package, which is huge, somewhere in the vicinity of $3 trillion now, uh, is seen as bailing out big business the way we did with banks in, in uh, 2008 uh, and letting the small guys go as we did in 2008, so that is, the small banks all suffered. All the big banks raked it in uh if this uh, uh program is seen the same way as helping uh, the big hotel chains and restaurant chains and other uh wealthy businesses and uh, leaving local businesses and small businesses high and dry um it will further solidify people's low opinion of the government
1: yeah absolutely you know and and I mean, one, one important thing about your book, too, is that it's not just a, a litany of complaints and, um, you know, outrages. and uh, you, you also really talk about solutions and about, you know, trying to, you know, fight this and fix this. C- could you elaborate on that for us, please? Well, it's tough. Um, the
0: First Amendment to the Constitution guarantees the right to lobby or... We, the people, corporations, anyone, uh, uh, can um, appear before government and uh, make its claims. Um, therefore, lobbying uh, is uh, is here to stay. And not all of it is bad. I mean, there's no reason why people with a legitimate interest shouldn't uh, talk to their congressman uh, or senator. Um, uh, to correct wrongs that that need to be corrected. Um, But to get at some of the things we have been talking about this morning, uh, one I think most productively uh, turns to the organizations uh, that are working on this, the organizations that work toward tax fairness uh, in the tax laws. The organizations that, uh, uh, one called POGO stands for something I can't remember right now, uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, uh, watchdogs, government expenditures to see that we're not paying $2,000 for toilet seats and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, working with and supporting those organizations which list ah, in the last chapter of the book ah, with their, um, um, contact uh, information uh, I think is is the best hope uh, and so is community activism. I think that getting involved with groups in your own community and running as much of your lives in the community as you can as opposed to waiting for Washington to say something this way or that way is healthy on many, many levels um, and uh, it it um, takes on some of the things that human beings are best at, which is taking care of each other, people we know, people we interact with. Uh, that also is very helpful because it makes uh, the, the lobbying effort by the big boys simply irrelevant or less relevant. All of those things, I think, are helpful. Uh, But I'm not at all optimistic about altering um, the influence that uh, major groups and corporations, including some nonprofits, by the way, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, the AARP is a very, very active lobbyist, for example, um, on behalf of their members, In, in one respect, perfectly appropriate um but uh the extent of lobbying activity and the extent to which bad programs are maintained again usually on, on the uh, observation that ending them might cost jobs um i i think is going to go on i don't think we we can do a great deal about it although uh, like liberty in general we have to keep trying
1: yeah you know, th- this is interesting because um you know there the rise of of populism uh, throughout the world um, in the United States and elsewhere uh, i I think it's it's a fascinating and and very important phenomenon and it's been across both the right and the left i mean um you know so you had things like occupy Wall Street for example i i you know you're liber you Personally, you know, identified yourself as a libertarian, and you know it. So it doesn't necessarily put you on on the right, uh, although there would be some things um, that you would be sympathetic for. And you know, I suppose the Republican Party, I, I'm guessing, and and I don't know, maybe the Democrat Party as well. Like for instance, what I'm interested, what would be your opinion of, let's say, the Occupy? Wall Street movement, when that happened, when people were outraged at, you know, at the subsidies uh, that the banks were getting while people were being put out of their homes and stuff, what, you know, that, that is a type of, of activism. Uh, Is, is, is that something that you think is effective or that you have sympathy with? Um, I'm curious. Well, I'm certainly sympathetic with anybody who uh, wishes
0: to express their views. In groups, or by themselves, or any other way, I mean, occupy Wall Street consisted of people who had every right within uh, the limits of um, not disrupting the movement of city life in New York, but uh, every right to make their views known, to protest, and and to march and to, to camp out. To the extent they followed the 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 rules there, so I'm mm-hmm. I'm completely supportive right. uh, uh, of free speech issues uh, of, of virtually any kind, as long as they don't lead to or perpetrate violence. Um, yeah. I, th- I think that, um, I mean, one of the great things about this country and one of the things that's going to get us through crises like the one we're in now uh, is a firm belief in the right of people to protest, firm belief in free speech, including speech we detest, and, uh, a crucial component of any free country. Uh, and uh, uh, that, that right it should not be uh, abrogated or trimmed in any way. And I think that uh, there have been a few cases during the crisis uh, of uh, state governments trying to avail, uh protesters uh, who are protesting uh, the extent of the lockdowns. Uh, They Mm -hmm. should let them go. They should let them protest Um, as long as they're not endangering other people in the process. That is sacrosanct as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting because, I mean, a a lot of the Occupy Wall Street people, uh, their solutions I would imagine you would be, Opposed to because you know, a lot of communists and you know, yeah, you know, outright communists and socialists and, and stuff there, which obviously would be against your libertarian principles. That, uh, but, um, but you know, the, the Tea Party, I think, was motivated by a lot of the same kind of concerns, but expressed very differently and uh, by a very different political demographic. But you know, but you had, you know, Occupy on the one hand, you had the Tea Party. On on the other, I th- I think there was a lot of common ground, but practically they seemed holes apart. Uh, I I I th- is there a way that that you see that um, this should be bridged or could be bridged? Um, I I'd like to hear your views on that because you know the the discontent is as you say uh, you know across the political spectrum. But, you know, but people remain divided in a lot of ways in their opposition to it.
0: Well, um, we're
1: never going to get everybody happy
0: yeah. in Kumbaya. And I, I see nothing wrong with that. I mean, uh, right. democracy is a country with uh, different groups, with different priorities. Uh, and I, I don't see any virtue in trying to get everybody together to sing on the same page. Uh, okay. oh. Let us have uh, Occupy Wall Street. Let us have the Tea Party. They, they have not uh, disrupted uh, political life in this country um, uh, irredeemably, in my view. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at least that's my optimistic view at this point. Uh, so disagreement is fine. Um, the only thing that we should not allow in connection with disagreement is violence.
1: Mhm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, as we bring the uh, interview to a close here, what what message would you like to leave your readers with after, you know, they they get through your book?
0: Well, um certainly uh, pay attention to the suggestions and recommendations in the last chapter. Uh, And talk it up. I mean, there is so much injustice involved in taking your money and mine and giving it to people who don't need it and don't deserve it uh, and are a hundred times wealthier than you and I are. Um, uh, Talk it up. Um, Give it some thought. And again, as I said, contact if you if you are so inclined some of the organizations that are working on these issues in Washington.
1: Great, great. Um, I I know you are a you know very active and and busy person. Uh, are there any other projects that you're working on right now? Uh,
0: the, the projects in the DKT Liberty Project, which is uh, which has a, a reactive active website. Are ongoing, and I will continue with that, and I continue to support uh, the International Family Planning Group, uh, DKT International.
1: Okay, great, great. Well, thanks so much for this interview. It's been very informative and and enjoyable, and I encourage all our listeners uh, to get your book. It's coming out in August, you said? August 5, yes. August 5th, right? Welfare for the Rich, How Your Tax Dollars End Up in Millionaires' Pockets and What You Can Do About It. Phil Harvey, one of the co-authors. The other is Lisa Conyers. And uh, so I really look forward to it and I hope you have uh, great success with it. Thanks. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. That's all for Politics and Polemics this week. If you like this, remember to check out my other podcast, independent thought and freedom, and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Also, if you are an academic and want to get heard nationally, check out my free training at becomeapublicintellectual.com. Thanks, and see you next week.